This morning as we open the scripture and we're turning once more to a, another name for, for Jesus found in Isaiah 9:6, it is the mighty God. And as we look at this, I have a confession to make. I'm not a mild-mannered pastor. I am not the sermonator, I, although I do have a hat that says that, but I do have a secret ad- identity. And I, I, I think after almost 23 years of being your pastor, I ought to reveal it to you this morning. How do superheroes do this so quickly? That's, they must pay a bunch for buttons. I tell you, this is just really hard. I am, uh, oh, if I can get this off. Oh wait, there's buttons here too. Buttons everywhere. Superman, how do you do this so quickly? Oh, let's see here. There we go. I am Symbolman. Oh wait, Symbol, Symbolman. There we go, yeah. I have power to explain to you symbols. Oh wait, not that kind of symbol. This kind of symbol. Yes, I can explain the meaning of symbols, particularly those that relate to our faith. Now this is the symbol of the Presbyterian Church USA. And I'm gonna turn my back, I love this, that I can do this with this microphone. I can turn my back to you and you can still hear me. But, the different symbols here within the symbol of the PCUSA symbol. It looks great all in blue with the red flames at the bottom, but there's actually other symbols there. At the top here, you'll notice the sign of a dove, descending dove, reminding us that the spirit came down on Jesus' baptism, filling him with the Holy Spirit, symbolizing that God was with him because all who were there saw the symbol of the dove descending. They heard the voice declare, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. In the middle of that symbol of the dove, you see this, a fish, the symbol of Jesus Christ because the Greek word for fish, his Jesus' disciples were fishermen, so of course they use that symbol. Ichthus, Jesus Christ, God's son, Savior, spills ichthus in, uh, in Greek. So the fish is a symbol for who Jesus is. Now, what they don't tell you, and what I like to see in this, is if you look at the top here and kind of set that down, it also resembles something of a cup, which reminds us of the cup of salvation, how Jesus changed the meaning of the Passover to the Lord's Supper. This is a pulpit which reminds us of the preaching of the word and the necessity for us to share the gospel with other people. In the middle of the pulpit, or sitting on the pulpit, you see this, the open Bible. In the middle of the pulpit, you see the baptismal font, which we have over here, always visible in worship. It also can be viewed, if you look at the white, as the robes of righteousness which we receive when we come to Christ in faith. And at the bottom, we have those flames, the symbol of the Holy Spirit poured forth on the church as God's people to empower them to share the good news of God's grace, salvation through faith alone, not by works that no one can boast. It's a great logo, but as great a logo as it is, it can't compare with our Lord 
who is wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Today we look at that, that center one, the mighty God, and it makes us stop and maybe even scratch our heads a bit and consider, think about what it means that the mighty God became incarnate. That means he, he took on flesh. God actually went through the, the process of being born as a baby. God let himself be confined to the womb of a young woman and carried around for nine months, just like you and like me. Folks, let's think about the sanctity of life in the womb. God started as a human being when he took on flesh. He didn't cease being God, but when he, he took on flesh and took on that human nature, he started the same way that you and I do, in the womb of a woman, hoping to make it to nine months so he'd be born as a baby. That's the miracle of Christmas. God, the all-powerful creator of the world, restricted himself not just to human flesh, but to human flesh the size of a baby born in a manger. A baby who has no power, no ability on its own. It must be fed, it must be closed, it must be changed, it must be cared for in every way. But the power of Almighty God, the omniscience, the omnipotence, the omnipresence of God was present in that baby who was all God, but yet all human. It's tempting for us to think of Jesus as God kind of like a superhero who came, you know, in a disguise. I don't know why people think that's much of a disguise, but they do. But God did not come in human flesh like a superhero, even if that's what ancient Israel wanted. See, I might be symbol man, but ancient Israel wanted Messiah man, the one who would return Israel to their glory days, who would rescue them from the oppression and power of Rome, who would sit upon the throne of David and stretch the boundaries of Israel so that it would overshadow and overpower Rome and become the one state of the world. Anticipating the arrival of the Messiah, some looked to the stars like wise men in Matthew's account. They kept looking up, like we look up for superheroes today. And one of my favorite superheroes when I was growing up, I have to tell you, is a, is, is a young guy with people looking up to the sky saying, look, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's a frog. And he would say, not bird, nor plane, nor even frog, just little old me, underdog. And yes, I actually have the complete collector's edition someplace in my house. Underdog, mild-mannered puppy who was disguised throughout life as shoeshine boy. I know you thought I was gonna talk about that other superhero, that powerful guy, faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. It's Superman alien visitor from another planet 
who disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for the Daily Planet, fights for truth, justice, and the American way. Superman had ultimate power, hidden behind a pair of glasses. Wait, where'd you go? Why is it that superheroes wear disguises, wear masks? They do it to hide their true identity, to protect those they love from their enemies, like a pair of glasses is gonna fool anybody. It doesn't really matter which superhero you choose. The truth is this, in Jesus, God was not wearing a mask to hide his true identity. Jesus, born as a baby in Bethlehem who grew up to become a man who taught and did miracles and healed people and died on a cross, wasn't God disguising himself, hiding from us. He was God revealing himself to us. By wearing masks, superheroes have taught us how to, you know, compartmentalize our lives. Now I'm Clark Kent. Now I'm Superman. Now I'm Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter. Now I'm Superman. Yeah, it's, it, it's not the same. Christians, we don't want to be Superman Clark Kent with a dual identity. We want to be Jesus, who had a solo identity. Because God didn't have in mind duplicity, but revelation when Jesus was born. God was not hiding his true identity. Instead, God was doing something totally different. He was identifying with us in our humanity by taking on human flesh, allowing him to be restricted in some ways while still being God so that he could communicate and interact with people. That's how much God wanted us to know him. God identified with us in flesh and he revealed himself to us as the God of the universe. God is God all the time. And God wants us to be who we are all the time. His children, his followers, Christians. God doesn't want us to be one person at work and somebody else when we go to church and do those good Christian mission projects together. God wants us to be the same person all the time, like Jesus was the same person, God, in the flesh all the time, not in disguise, but come with power to redeem us from our sin, to be with us ordinary folk, the stinky, the messy, the stable stalls of our lives are redeemed, made holy by the presence of the Holy One, the mighty God, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So let me reiterate, Jesus did not have a dual identity. He was God in the flesh. However, the incarnation means that while Jesus has one identity, he also had two natures. There was the God nature, there was the human nature coexisting in one person. So we would know firsthand in relationship with him, God's great love for us. Jesus was not, in the words of a Superman comics, strange alien invader or visitor from another planet. 
disguised as one of us. Jesus was unique, he was one of us, but he was also mighty God in human flesh and remains mighty God in human flesh, whatever that resurrected flesh is that we look forward to ourselves, that's who Jesus is now. See, the early church had a struggle because there were people who wanted to say, well, Jesus was just like you and me and when he had that baptism, the spirit came on him and he became God. Or he was always God, but he was never really human. And there was a guy named Arius who kind of took that second track. Well, he was never really human. He was just God. He was the, yeah, that's what, why he's fulfilling a prophecy. He's mighty God. He just looks human. So he didn't really suffer when he was on the cross. But the church rebelled against that. The teachers of theology rebelled against that. Among them was a guy named Gregory of Nazianzus and the Cappadocian Fathers and Athanasius and several others. And Gregory of Nazianzus lived in 330 to 390 uh, BCE, C- C- Common Era or AD in the year of our Lord. And what he, what he posited and what the church accepted is this, what is not assumed cannot be redeemed. That means if Jesus wasn't God in the flesh, if God hadn't taken on our flesh, if there wasn't true humanity not mingled with Jesus' godhood, but part of that person of who Jesus was, then we as human beings today could not be saved because only what is assumed can be redeemed. So Jesus had to be in part human to suffer and die and to be tempted in every way as we, yet without sin, so that we can be tempted and not sin, so that we can be redeemed, and so we can look forward to what happened to him in resurrection will happen to us and our bodies, and where he is in that, that, that human nature that he took on in the incarnation is now with God, we in the same way in resurrection, redeemed humanity will be with God in heaven because we don't become spiritual beings. We don't become angels. We don't become like God. We're not gods ourselves. There's only one God. God took on our flesh to redeem us, to prepare a place for us that we could be with him forever. And so what scares us most about Jesus is that he is God in human form, truly human, truly God, but that's what makes him approachable. Jesus is the mighty God, the omnipotent one, the omnipresent one, the omniscient one, the creator of the world wrapped up in flesh. And so Jesus is known by many names, some of which we're looking at during Advent here, but the names that the people of Israel called their God, our God, the creator, redeemer of all, also apply to Jesus. And sometimes he's known as Lord Sabaoth. We sing that in the great hymn of Martin Luther. The church, uh, Lord Sabaoth his name. It means the Lord of hosts or the commander of God's armies. The God of gods who commands the host, the heavenly host, the army of angels. He's called El Elyon, the God Most High. He's El Shaddai, the All-Sufficient One. El Eloi, God, my strength. El Olam, the God of eternity. And Isaiah uses another name 
for Jesus, reserved only for God. El Gabor, the mighty God. He does this to show that Jesus is unique. Held within check in his humanity is the all-powerful, all-knowing, mighty God. Not some strange visitor from someplace else. No superhero to help us in our time of need that we can ignore the rest of the time. He is God with us. Jesus is the mighty God who's come to identify with us in our humanity. The mighty God who's come to reveal God to us so that when we see Jesus, we don't need to say, so what's God like? We know what God's like. God's gonna treat us like Jesus treated his disciples, like Jesus treated the woman at the well, like he treated those who came to him to be healed of leprosy who were outcasts from society. Jesus reveals God to us. He's not some barrier between us. He is God with us. Jesus is the mighty God who has come to redeem us because he took our place, paying the penalty, taking the penalty for our sinfulness and our rejection of God upon himself so that he felt the pain of the cross and of death as a human being. Jesus is the mighty God who gives us new life when we receive him in faith and his sacrifice for us. So don't be confused. Jesus is God, the mighty God. Yes, he's human, but he's also God. Two natures in one person. So this Christmas, as we come to the stable, we should come in awe to worship God who did a miraculous thing, taking on flesh to be with us so we could relate to him, so we could understand something about how he treats us and loves us, and forgives us. We should come to be redeemed, to confess our sinfulness and seek his grace. We should come to be strengthened for life. We should come to receive him who is Lord of all. Nowhere is a better description of who Jesus is and his dual nature found than in what we call the Nicene Creed. Written in that 300s AD to express and answer the question that Jesus is God and man together. The dual nature, one person, but yet still Lord of all. And so I would ask that you stand up with me now and read with me the Nicene Creed that you'll find on the screen in front of you. I hope these words will help remind you that Jesus is the mighty God and to understand what that means. Let us confess together. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father, through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became truly human, 
For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified, who is spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.